get through two verses tonight. I'm sorry. And uh, so some of you are thinking, yay, we get out of here early. I don't know about that either, but I'll do my best. So uh, Isaiah chapter 57, and let, let's go to the Lord. Father, we bow before you this evening, and we come before you asking you to just speak to us, Lord. Uh, most everyone in here has dealt with things today that we didn't want to deal with, and uh, we've heard bad news, and, and Lord, we're just, we have the tendency to be distracted, and our minds have the tendency to wander, and Lord, we just need to rest in your presence this evening, and we need to examine and study your word. It's powerful, it's living, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, we need you, we need your spirit working in us, teaching us, teaching us your eternal word. I pray that we listen to you and that we are led by your spirit and that what we learn tonight changes us for your glory. I just pray right now that you would be with us, be with the workers across the street, the children. Um, God, I just pray that you would um, just take control of all of our services. Lord, if anyone may be watching our live stream or in the sanctuary or in over in the Awana programs, if any comes that have never heard the gospel, may they clearly hear the gospel and understand and believe in you for their eternal salvation. Lord, I ask you as I go through this that you would give me clarity of thought and help me to give what you have given me. May it be true to you. May it glorify you. Again, I ask you for your help in Jesus' name and amen. Isaiah chapter 57 verses 1 and 2. The righteous perishes and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their bite, Wikipedia, as a legitimate source, but I'm going to. Wikipedia writes this, When bad things happen to good people is a 1981 book by Harold Kushner, a conservative rabbi. Kushner addresses in the book one of the principal problems of theodicy and the conundrum of why if the universe was created and is governed by a God who is of a good and loving nature, there is nonetheless so much suffering and pain in it, essentially the eventual problem of evil. The book argues for theistic finiteism, Kushner, listen, proposes a finite God solution to the problem of evil. And he says this, and I quote, God is benevolent, but not all-powerful to prevent evil. This was on the New York Times bestseller book back then. As ludicrous as that may sound, many people have the same idea that Rabbi Kushner has. In fact, the question has kept many people from coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Haven't you heard the argument before? Well, if God is so good, why did He allow this evil? Why didn't He stop this evil? 
Juxtaposed in our text tonight is the righteous man, and then next week we'll talk about verses evil leaders. I want to say right from the get-go that God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. He's all-powerful. He is sovereign. And such foolishness that God does His best but cannot prevent evil is total rubbish. It's garbage. And it's a lie straight from the pits of hell. Doesn't it seem sometimes that godly people and leaders pass away and then evil leaders seem to flourish? Isaiah is going to give us a glimpse of what God says about the matter. I remind you that Isaiah only records what God gives him. These are not Isaiah's opinions. This is not something that Isaiah took a poll and decided he would publish. These are the very words of God. So look in with me in verse number 1. The first thing we need to see is that death is an indisputable fact. Death is an indisputable fact. Isaiah does not say if the righteous perishes. He does not say sometimes the righteous perishes. But rather he says the righteous perishes. As a matter of fact, this fact is taught throughout all of the Scriptures. Listen to these. Ecclesiastes 12.7 Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Hebrews 9.27 And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Everyone in this room has an appointment with death. Death is a consequence of the original sin. God told Adam, before He even created Eve, He told Adam, In the day that you eat that fruit, you shall surely die. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Some people have this belief that if one is righteous, he or she will not die. But that is never taught in the Scriptures anywhere. And can I give you just a little side note? Never trust a faith healer that wears glasses. Think about that. Catherine Coleman died. Other can, uh, uh, what was the Hagen, the 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 the, old, the father Hagen? He died. Kenneth Hagen, I guess, senior or whatever. He died. Oral Roberts died. They all die. They all die. I kind of feel bad for Lazarus. He had to die twice. You know, he brought him back from the dead, and then he had to go through all that again. But no matter how righteous you might be, that does not give you a pass from dying. You can't be good enough to avoid death. Righteous people die all the time. My mother died at age 52, a massive stroke. Over 300 people recorded that she had personally led to the Lord. Every Saturday she visited on behalf of the Lord. She was a righteous person. And she passed. 
her father, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, whom I'm named after, died at age 50 with a massive heart attack. One of the, my dad, and my dad says this, it's pretty, pretty profound. He said, he's one of the greatest Christian men I ever knew. Greatest Christian. He died. And one day, everyone in this room is going to die. And no matter how many works you do, the righteous still die. We were never created or intended to live on this earth forever. And that ought to be, given the circumstances we're in in this country and in this world, that ought to come to us as a, as a relief. So Isaiah reassures us that the righteous die. The righteous die. The second thing that our text teaches us is that no one truly understands why the righteous die. I have officiated many funerals. Funerals of infants, funerals of teenagers, funerals of the aged. And... I have heard people say, why didn't the Lord just take me and not take them? Over and over and over again. And I, as a pastor, I have to just be honest and say, I I don't know. We learned in Isaiah chapter 55 that our thoughts are not His thoughts and our ways are not His ways. I'm not God. That's above my ability to understand Isaiah uses two phrases here that are worth noting. The first phrase he says, the righteous dies, here's the first phrase, and no man takes it to heart. The second phrase he uses is, he says, the righteous perish and no man takes heart. Merciful men are taken away while no one considers. The second verse or second phrase is, while no one considers. Both of these phrases carries the idea that no one truly understands why godly men and women die and evil men and women seem to live on and flourish. We've all watched the news and we've seen a trial where an individual may be being tried for a manslaughter crime because perhaps he was drinking and driving and he had a passenger in a car. He lived and the passenger died. And you wonder, he was the one that was drinking. He was the one that was drunk. Why does this person have to go? We can't answer that. We don't understand it. We we don't take it to heart. The idea of taking it to heart means the inner man. We don't understand on the inside. We don't understand on the inside. And the, the phrase that no one considers, it means that we don't understand, we don't discern, we don't know what is going on. We all walk around like we're, you know, super spiritual saying stuff. And I'll be honest with you, there are many times when you and I have to go to a funeral home and we don't know what to say. We, we don't know what to say. I mean, what do you say to someone that's grieving? 
And we end up saying the standard, standard phrases, you know, I'm praying for you, is there anything I can do for you? Well, right at that point, they don't know what in the world they're going to do tomorrow. They don't know what you can do for them. And I understand that's just coming from a heart, you're sincere and you mean that, but we just don't know what to say. We don't understand. We don't know. In my lifetime, I've had, I've had, I've heard of numerous reasons people have given why this happens. However, I've never heard someone open the scripture to this passage of scripture right here and say, this is what the Bible says. And I will stand and say I'm not judging anyone because I've never used this. Until I studied this today, I was floored. I mean, I, had, I was clueless to what it was saying. I was floored when I started reading this and trying to make sense of this. Here's the problem. The problem is you and I look at this from our human standpoint. We don't look at it from God's perspective. This is the biggest problem that we have as human beings. We can't look at things like God looks at things. We can't have His perspective that He has. I look at the recent events that happened in Nashville, and I cannot wrap my mind around it. I cannot place this in the inner man, which is what that phrase, and no man takes it to heart, means. I can't, I can't take it in. I can't understand that. I often hear from unbelievers, if God is so good, why didn't He stop this? He could have stopped that. Of course He could have. But that leads people like Rabbi Kushner to say, well, he, you know, he's, he's benevolent, but he's not all-powerful. Are you kidding me? That's the most l- ludicrous statement I've ever heard in my life. He is omnipotent. He can stop and he can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do. But here's what we have to understand. Our goal is not to live on this life, on this earth forever, in the fallen state that it's in. Our eternal home is the new Jerusalem. Our eternal home is there's no suffering, there's no evil, the absence of evil. I don't know why. I don't understand. And I could give arbitrary answers, but that doesn't help. I just don't understand. And that's what Isaiah is saying that's common with all of us. We truly don't understand these things. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 2 and 4. It'll be up through 2 through 4, it'll be on the screen there. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and to the wicked. The same thing happens to the righteous that happens to the wicked. To the good, the clean, and the unclean. To him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As is the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath, as he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts, here it is, truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Whenever I'm around someone they say, trust your heart, I scream, please don't do that. The Bible says that your heart is desperately wicked. And the real issue is 
The hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. And we want to make everyone seem good. We look at our children and we think, oh, they're so good. No, they're not. No, they're not. I do not trust a 14-year-old one iota. Heard one preacher preaching, he was saying of his son. His son turned 12 or 13 and wanted a phone. His dad was going to give him a phone. He let him use the phone. He'd take it away from him. And he said, Dad, don't you trust me? And the dad said, Now, son, I want you to listen to me. I've been rehearsing this day for a long time. He said, No, I do not trust you. I do not trust you. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness in their hearts while they live and after they go to the dead. But for who, for him who is joined to all the living there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Pretty good, isn't it? When we look at our kids, I want to tell you. Those, what the kids need, what you need, what I need is a new heart. And that's exactly what we got when we trusted in Jesus Christ. Amen. We got a new heart. Solomon says, truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. And as we get into next week, you will see trouble. The real trouble is with the hearts of men and women that are full of evil. That's why people do bad things. Yet... We still don't fully understand. Okay, God, we understand that there are bad people and their hearts are full of evil, yet we are the redeemed. Shouldn't we be separated from them? Should we have to go through the same things they go through? If you look at the perspective from this life is all there is, then you might have that argument. But that argument does not hold weight because this is not all. Your life on this earth is just a blip compared to eternity. And in the day we live, excuse me, in the day that we live, we hardly preach about, talk about, think about, dream about eternity. Because we're so enamored with the temporal, the things that are going on. So he says, you're going to die. The righteous are going to die. He says, no one truly understands why the righteous die. And lastly, he says, the righteous man or woman taken away is taken away from evil. Look at verse 1. The righteous perishes, and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. Isaiah gives us God's perspective. He says that the godly man or woman that is actually taken away is taken away from evil. Heaven is not... A consolation prize. It is the prize. 
And it is so much better than what is here. If we truly knew what those that have gone on before us, the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that have gone on before us are experiencing, we wouldn't want them to come back. It would be extremely selfish for us to ask them to come back. As long as this world exists until the physical, literal kingdom comes, it will be filled with evil because man's heart is filled with evil. Isaiah says that there are three benefits to the righteous man or woman that is taken away from evil. In our text, he gives us three. First of all, he says, would you read with me in verse uh, number two. Let me go back and read the last sentence of verse number one. That the righteous is taken away from evil. Number one, here it is. He shall enter into peace. The righteous that is taken away from evil shall enter into peace. The word peace here is in the Hebrew, the word shalom. We hear it. You hear Jewish people, you hear uh, Christians say it. You hear it a lot if you go to Israel. It's mostly translated peace throughout the scriptures, but Strong says the actual literal meaning is completeness, soundness, welfare, Peace, all that bound in that one word. When you say shalom is a greeting to another Hebrew person, they understand that, man, that's the complete sound, welfare, peace greeting. It seems to me that Isaiah is telling us when the righteous die, they are no longer in danger of evil. <laughs> peace. You know what the opposite of peace is? Evil. It amazes me that some time ago there were people who were peacefully protesting and if you didn't do what they wanted, they will kill you. And they say that they say that the Islamic faith is 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 a religion of peace, yet it tells in their Quran to kill the infidels, us, to kill them. If you don't accept us, the religion of peace, we're going to kill you. They have been fully and finally delivered from the evil of the world. I knew an elderly man once, a godly man, served the Lord without controversy, very kind, generous, loving, compassionate, Christ follower. And he told me that this world has nothing to offer him. I am ready to go home and be with my Lord. Quote, or end quote, I should say. And that is his, was his honest confession before me and before God. His heart's desire was there's nothing here, there's evil continually, 
I want to go home. I want to go home. When that one is delivered from the evil world, he or she entered into real peace. Our politicians get on, tel- on television and they say, we want peace. You know what they want? They want a piece of this and a piece of that until they have the whole thing. That's what they want. Second benefit, he or she will rest in their beds. They shall rest in their beds, verse 2 says. The phrase literally means the rest in a lying down. Have you ever laid down on a hammock or your favorite chair, something that when you sat down in it, you could just completely rest? It signifies the earthly toils are over. Life is tough. I don't care what anybody says. Coach 8th grade baseball, got a group of 14-year-old boys. And they have no real, on my team, they have no real concerns. Everyone on my team has parents they're well cared for they don't have to work they get phones provided for them games food boy those were the days weren't they when you didn't have to worry about anything man this rest signifies the earthly toils are over we face danger on every front economic dangers Your dollar will not go nearly as far today as it would a couple years ago. You eat, it costs you more money. Many of the people I know that are retired live on a meager income that does not increase, yet everything around them is increasing. There's health dangers. Someone has told me, the older you get, you have to have your own calendar just for doctor's appointments. Just for doctor's appointments. And there's health dangers. Eat this, it's good for you. Now you can't eat this, it's not good for you. Drink coffee, it's good for you. Don't drink coffee, you're going you're gonna to die. You know what I'm saying? And then they can say, you can eat this, and then, then you eat sugar. And I was just talking to Joe, and he went to a doctor's appointment with someone, and the doctor basically said, if it tastes good, it, you can't have it. What a bear of good news. I mean, there's relational dangers. Family's not speaking over political stuff. Stupid. Whenever are we going to realize that we are the pawn in all this garbage? They don't care. Nobody in Washington knows my name or knows your name. All they see 
is a bunch of gullible people that if they yell loud enough, we'll get with them and they know just what to yell and we'll side with them because it gives them power and all of them have more money than they could ever spend. <laughs> they don't have to worry about buying groceries. Someone did an interview once and interviewed senators and said that most senators have between 8 and 10 appointments a day and congressmen. And many of their appointments are done over a drink, so they're drinking eight to ten drinks a day, and no wonder we wonder why nothing's getting done in Washington. There's danger all around us. And we're only truly delivered from these dangers when we depart this evil world. Listen to this. Revelation 14, 13 says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Rest. The concept of rest is great, isn't it? I have a good friend that says, I can sleep anywhere and anytime as long as it's not in a bed and at night. Can anybody else identify or agree with that? There's something to be said about rest. Dr. John R. Rice was a preacher that lived many years ago. It was said of Dr. Rice that he would, in the afternoons, he would take off his suit, he would climb, put on his pajamas, climb in and take a big nap. One time a preacher was preaching with him, and he noticed that Dr. Rice got up, and he had his pajamas on under his suit. And so the preacher said, let's all stand and pray. And they all stood and prayed, and while they were praying, he called on the guy. He said, I know if I called on this preacher, this one preacher was in that meeting, if I called on him, he'd pray a long time. And so he called on him, and while that guy was praying, he got up and he folded his pajama pants up under his suit so no one would see it. Rest. Isn't it great? There's nothing like a, on a cold Sunday afternoon a good nap. Amen. I'm not, I'm not talking about a little chintzy little. I'm talking about a full-born nuclear nap. The one who departs this evil world will experience genuine rest. The toils of the world will be over. The rat race we live in will be over. I remember one time I said that, and I said, keeping up with the Joneses, and poor Kurt Jones sat back there, and I was like, Kurt, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Um, rest. The third benefit is he or she will walk in their own uprightness. The godly one that is taken will be rewarded for his or her godliness. They will not be separated from the works each one walking in his uprightness, his own uprightness. All that has been done through them in the name of the Lord will not be forgotten. It will be an honoring of Christ, an honoring of God. 
Notice that that last verse I just read you in Revelation, it says, Yes, says the Spirit, they may rest from their labors and listen, and their works follow them. Their works will follow them. Everything you've ever done, even though the world doesn't recognize it, even sometimes the church doesn't recognize it. God does. And those works will follow. So while we don't understand from our perspective, from God's perspective, the godly that die are far better off than we are. And we're looking at the equation from the wrong perspective. Now, I don't want to minimize pain. I don't want to say that it doesn't hurt when we lose a loved one because it does. And anyone that would say that it doesn't is foolish. The one that dies has no worry of danger or evil. They rest from their labors and their works follow them. So what's the application of this text? Well, five things quickly. Number one, everyone will die, even the righteous. I put a little footnote here because I want to be theologically correct with my beliefs. And I put, everyone will die, even the righteous. The only exception are those raptured. That would be cool to be raptured. I would like to, I would like to experience that. But everyone's going to die, even the righteous. Number two, when the righteous die, they are fully delivered from evil. There's no evil in the presence of God. There's no evil in the presence of God. Number three, when the righteous die, they enter into peace and rest. What we really long for, right? You come home from work, you just want to rest. I uh, sometimes wake up early, real early, and I'm awake and I can't sleep and I get up and I have coffee and I've sat there, I've talked to the Lord, I've read the Bible, and I haven't had no human interaction. My wife wakes up, she's a little slower to get going, and I'm like, look, man, I've been quiet for six hours. I need to talk to somebody. She says, peace and rest, please. (laughs) Number four, when the righteous die, their faithfulness will be rewarded. Their faithfulness will be rewarded. Long before we put everybody's names on the buildings. Men and women used to do things for the glory of the Lord and wanted to remain anonymous. I do want to say, I I do believe this church is... Very, very good in this matter. Many people don't want to be recognized. They don't want to do their giving in front of people. They want it to be done secretly. And many people serve behind the scenes, and they don't want recognition for it. Number five, when the righteous die, they're better off than they've ever been. I'd like to close with two verses of Scripture. These verses just... They're just so powerful. I mean, it's like the exclamation point to what I've been trying to communicate to you. Psalm 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death 
of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And he probably is the only one who truly knows what it really means. What really awaits us. And so how do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? Um, do you have Psalm 116, 12 by any chance? Can you pull it up? If you'll give me just a second while, or if you want to look in your scriptures, or in your copy of the Bible. This is what I would ask of us. I would ask, this is the question we must perhaps ask ourselves. What shall I render to the Lord for all of His benefits toward me? Knowing all that God has prepared for us, what shall I render for the Lord? I'll tell you what the Lord really wants. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants your worship. He wants your fellowship. He wants you. And I read this text and I see the goodness of God. Yes, I love living here. I love life. I enjoy it. I really do. I have bad days like everybody has bad days. But I, I enjoy living. I mean, this grandkid thing is it's really cool. I mean, it is really good. And um, I, 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 uh, I'm looking forward to it. But you know, we have the promise of Scripture. We have the promise of Scripture. That precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. If I breathe my last breath, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, God created man, and the Bible says that he, man, <clears throat> he breathed the breath of life into man, and man became a living soul. When God takes that breath back, He takes your soul with Him, and you will be with Him forever. Amen. Now, I would say this. If you've never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never come through repentance and faith, believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, you don't have that assurance. You don't have that promise. And none of this applies to you. In the context, the righteous perishes. The righteous dies. He's talking about believers. Not unbelievers. If you are born again, you die once. If you're only born once, your natural birth, but not born again, you die twice. You die physically, and then at the end, you die spiritually when you're cast into the lake of fire. Forever and ever and ever. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And you're only born again by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ.
Christ. If you're not saved, you must realize you're a sinner. Your heart is deceived, it's desperately wicked, and you are classified as evil. You say, well, I've never done anything. I've never killed anybody or I've never done bad things. It's not based on what you do. It's based on who you are. You're a sinner. Sinners sin. You sin because you're a sinner. And you must be born again. How am I born again? I believe that I am a sinner and that I deserve to die. And I believe that Jesus Christ died in my place. I turn from my sin, turn to Him, believing in what He has done alone. Not that I'm good enough, but that His death on the cross is sufficient for me. And I'm believing Him for that atonement, for that salvation. And only Him. If you're not saved, you can be saved tonight right where you are by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for your eternal salvation. Would you bow with me for just a moment?